Well, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I'm excited to talk about prophecy once again. Last week, um, we laid a foundation, a theological foundation for the gift, the spiritual gift of prophecy. And if you were not here last week and you did not tune in to our podcast, I highly encourage you after today, sometime this week, listen to last week's message. Because it provides uh, a lot of context for what we're going to talk about today, okay? So, um, by the way, we're going to take communion at the end of our service today, at the end of the message. So, if you did not receive a communion element and you need one, would you just raise your hand? And the ushers will bring you some so that you can participate in communion at the end of the message. All right, last week, we defined prophecy as a message spontaneously inspired by God communicated through a person. Last week, we talked about how the Apostle Paul emphasizes the gift of prophecy. It says in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 14, he says, eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. He says, be eager to prophesy. And by the way, prophecy is the only gift out of the spiritual gift, gifts that is, that is mentioned in each list of spiritual gifts that we have in the Bible. We have six lists. Uh, we, we have six lists of spiritual gifts, gifts in the Bible. Can I get some water, babe? My mouth is like really dry. Oh, thanks, mom. Appreciate that. Uh, we have six lists in the Bible. One of the lists is, uh, is Paul talks about celibacy and marriage being spiritual gifts. And that is not one of the five, uh, lists or one of the six lists that I'm talking about. Uh, through this series, but Paul mentions prophecy in five of the six lists throughout the New Testament. And I believe it was, prophecy is important because it strengthens, encourages, and comforts the church, is what Paul says. Paul also thinks that prophecy is, an, is a powerful evangelistic gift because it convicts people of sin. He says that it reveals secrets of their hearts and causes people to fall down and worship God. Last week, we talked about the difference between Old Testament prophets and New Testament prophecy and how New Testament apostles were the counterpart to Old Testament prophets because both uh, Old Testament prophets and New Testament apostles had the authority to speak and write scripture. We know now that prophecy is no longer recorded in Scripture. The, the Bible is complete. We have the full word of God. Prophecy is no longer the voice of God like it was in the Old Testament, but instead prophecy is a voice of God because all believers can hear the voice of God. It's not just relegated to a, to a few people who hear the voice of God. And prophecy today does not carry exclusive authority. Last week we talked about how when a prophet delivered a word, they were the exact words of God and they carried ultimate authority. So when Jonah came to Nineveh and said, repent because this city is going to be destroyed in 40 days. If you ignored what Jonah had said, you were ignoring the exact words of God and had exclusive authority. But today God has created, he has established the church that operates as a body. We operate as a team. And so prophecy operates as one of the many gifts that the Spirit has poured out to the body of Christ. We also talked about the difference between foretelling and forthtelling. We mentioned, I mentioned how foretelling is like a meteorologist predicting what is to happen in the coming days. And we see many examples of foretelling both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. But forthtelling involves declaring the truth of God 
in a current context. And we compared it last week to free writing, where you write or you speak whatever the Holy Spirit is saying, and you aren't as concerned about how it all flows together. We also talked about many examples in Scripture that reveal that prophecy in the New Testament does not carry the same weight as Scripture, and it does not reflect the exact words of God. Rather, prophecy is a revelation that comes from the Holy Spirit, and it's much more of a subjective process. What do I mean by that? This gift requires waiting on the Lord. The gift of prophecy requires listening to Him, hearing His promptings in our heart. And lastly, we discussed that Paul says that not every believer will prophesy. Not every believer will prophesy. He's very clear about this in 1 Corinthians 12, that not all have the gift of prophecy. However, he does seem to suggest that many people in the church will prophesy. And he encourages all of us, all believers, to earnestly desire this gift. Because all believers have the ability to hear God's voice. Amen? We all have the ability to hear God, and we all have permission to prophesy within Paul's guidelines. So today we're going to spend some time learning the ways in which God communicates to us. And we're going to look at Paul's instructions for how to prophesy in the church. And we, uh, we, and, and we will also talk about our responsibility to weigh prophetic words and deliver them to others. By the way, if you're joining us, we didn't just randomly start talking about prophecy. We're in the midst of a series about spiritual gifts and the Holy Spirit. And so the last, the last week and this week, we're, we're talking about the gift of prophecy. And next week, we're going to talk about some more gifts of the Spirit. But if you're in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 with me. I'm going to start at verse 1. It says this. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. I want to clarify once again that the reason that Paul says uh, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, he is not meaning that their value is more. He's not saying that the one who prophesies that they have more value or they are more loved by God or they have uh, they have a better relationship with God than the one who speaks in tongues. What Paul is referring to is are he's emphasizing gifts that edify the entire church. So speaking in tongues edifies the individual, but prophecy is for the church. It's for the congregation. And so Paul says, I would rather have you prophesy. It is the greater gift because it lends greater things to the entire congregation. It is more of a corporate gift. And that's why Paul refers to the gift of prophecy as the greater of the two gifts. Firstly, I want us, as we go into this message, this talk this morning, I want us to remember that prophecy isn't for you. It's not for you. It is for others. Paul was writing this letter to Corinthians because there was disorder and abuse of gifts within the church of Corinth. And Paul does not urge them 
to stop prophesying and to stop speaking in tongues. Because this is what was happening. The church of Corinth was abusing the gifts of prophecy and was abusing the gifts of tongues. And normally today when a church begins to do that, what we tend to do is just kibosh that gift altogether. You know what? It's unhealthy. It's weird. Uh, it, it doesn't fit my, my life or my theological framework. So we're just going to get rid of it. But Paul instead provides healthy instructions for how the church can operate in these two gifts. He does not want the church to stop prophesying or to cease speaking in tongues. Rather, he graciously gives them instructions for how to use this gift. And so Paul, he starts with the heart and the motivation behind this gift. This, this gift, this chapter 14, as he gives instructions for how to prophesy, prophesy and how to speak in tongue, it follows immediately after 1 Corinthians 13, which many of us know this chapter as the love chapter. And it's recited at weddings. It's a beautiful chapter. It's short, which makes it even better for some of us. But it's love is patient, love is kind, it is not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It's this beautiful chapter about what love is, and it's all in the context of spiritual gifts. What Paul is saying, that as you use your spiritual gifts, you should do it with a motivation of love first. With a, with a motivation and a heart of sincerity, humility towards others. He says this in 1 Corinthians 13, I'm going to start at verse 2. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as, so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And then in verse 4, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. See, this chapter was written in the context of operating in your spiritual gifts within the church. In other words, Paul is saying, be patient when you prophesy. Be kind and don't do it to boast or to show people what a godly person you are. When you prophesy, don't insist on doing things your way. Don't be irritable and resentful. When you prophesy, rejoice that the truth of God is being communicated today. When you operate in your spiritual gifts, do it with the motivation of love. And I believe that God wants to move some people here from being spectators to participants within our church. I believe that as we learn to prophesy in a greater capacity, God is going to move in a powerful way because we are better hearing his voice and obeying what he is telling us to do. You have a part to play in this gift. And so this morning, what I really want to do, my heart, is to kind of demystify this gift. I think we, we keep a couple spiritual gifts in this category that are just too lofty for us to attain or too lofty for us to truly understand. And we stick to the gifts that we're familiar with, like encouragement and mercy and, yeah, even faith sometimes. I think we can muster up some faith, right? And we think, we think that there are certain spiritual gifts that are just too, too much for us. And then there's other spiritual gifts. But I want to, us to demystify this gift this morning because I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to pour out this gift in a widespread manner. And it seems that Paul suggests this in 1 Corinthians 14. So as we continue, I want to first stop and I want to invite the Holy Spirit into this room to open up our hearts and for the Lord to speak to your heart specifically. Can we do that together, church? Jesus, we are open to receiving what you have for us. And Father, we approach this topic with an attitude of humility, knowing that I am not an expert 
on the Bible. In fact, the more I know about the Bible, the, the, the more I, uh, the, the less I understand. <laughs> the more I, I realize that I need your help. And so Holy Spirit, help us this morning. Give us open hearts. Renew our minds. Help us see where you're taking our church, where you're taking your church. Capital C. Father, do a work in hearts this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to talk about eight things that we all need to learn in order to use this gift well. And these are really a- application instructions for if you receive a word. This is, this is how to receive a word. What is the voice of God? What does it sound like? And how does Paul say that we're supposed to share it in a church setting? So these are eight things that we all need to learn in order to use this gift well. And the first one, we're going to start with this. Number one, and I'm going to spend the most time on this first one. Number one, we need to learn the voice of God. Learn the ways in which God speaks. Learn the voice of God. Well, how does God communicate to us? God communicates to us in many different ways. The first way that God communicates to us, the primary way that God has chosen to communicate to us is through the Bible. This is the primary way that God has chosen to communicate with us. All revelation or prophetic words given to us begin and end in Scripture. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. 2 Peter 1, 20 says this, But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Did you catch that? No prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. The Bible is the very words of God. The Bible is infallible. And, and reveals the general will of God to every generation. Meaning, when I say the Bible's infallible, it means that it, it carries no errors. That what is written in the Bible, God intended it for, for it to be there. For generations to come to see and believe in Jesus, we know that it's the very word of God. Now, if you're here in this room and if you wrestle with recognizing the voice of God, I would ask you the question, are you reading your Bible? If you're here and you say, I struggle hearing the voice of God, Pastor. I don't know when it's me. I don't know when it's him. I I feel like I never hear a word from the Lord. Are you reading your Bible? Because it is the words of God written for you. Often God speaks to me with a scripture or he reminds me of a passage. And you, did you know this, that you can prophetically speak the promises of God found in scripture over your own life. For instance, when you feel alone and afraid, you can say, I will not be afraid because the Bible says I am never alone and the Lord will be my protector. You can speak the promises of God. What is found in scripture is God has already said yes and amen to those promises. And when you read those promises over your life, you are prophesying those promises, those words of God over your life. The Bible is the primary way that God has chosen to speak to his people. The second way that God speaks to people is through impressions. Now, an impression is an internal sense where you feel or you think or you know something regarding a person or a situation. We have an example of this in Acts 27. Paul receives an impression from the Holy Spirit. 
It says this in Acts 27, verses 9 through 11. When considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast was already over, Paul began to admonish them and say to them, Men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, no, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. I remember as a youth pastor, when a student came up to me for prayer, I'd often receive impressions and I could perceive if a student was struggling with certain sins like pornography or is wrestling with guilt because they had, they had premarital sex with a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And if it was a girl, I would ask a female leader to join me. But if it was a boy, I would ask flat out. I would ask flat out if this impression that I was receiving was correct. And almost every time, it would lead into a confession and, and a prayer of healing and deliverance. When the Lord speaks to some people, sometimes he gives us impressions where we feel. It's this internal nudging in our spirit where we're made aware of something that we normally wouldn't be made aware from, be made aware of. So the Holy Spirit oftentimes speaks to people through impressions. Maybe you understand what this is like. Maybe you've stepped into a room before. Have you ever stepped into a room and you felt something in your spirit that was like, something's off in here. I don't know what it is, but I sense something in this place that I, I just, maybe you felt a darkness or maybe maybe you step into somebody's presence and you feel a joy about them. You, you have this impression about the spirit in them. Or the Lord speaks to you with impressions. Maybe some of you have had this experience before. The Lord also speaks to his people through thoughts. He gives us thoughts. 1 Corinthians 2. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul is explaining the difference between those who have the Holy Spirit and those who do not have the Holy Spirit. And this is what he says in verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And then he says, The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one, for who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? And then he says, But we have the mind of Christ. Did you catch that, church? That if you have the Holy Spirit in you, Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says that you are being, your mind is being renewed. That you are being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the Holy Spirit not only saves your soul, but he also is in the process of sanctifying your mind. And so if we can know the mind of Christ through the Holy Spirit, obviously you cannot know the mind of God on your own. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit in you that can understand the mind of the Lord. But Paul says we've been given the mind of Christ through the Holy Spirit. And that means that there's a flow of God's thoughts streaming into our minds. That doesn't mean that every thought we have is prophetic. But it does reveal that not every thought that comes into our mind is our own. Did you know that? Not every thought you have is your own thought. Some are from the Spirit of God. Some thoughts are demonic. Those lies that we speak over ourselves, I'm not good enough, I'm worthless, I can't do it. Sometimes that's our flesh, but sometimes that's the enemy speaking thoughts into our mind. And often it comes in the first person. 
And we feel like we're saying this over ourselves, but not every thought that you have is your own. It's why the Bible makes it clear that we're supposed to take every thought captive. And we're supposed to understand where the source is. Where is this thought coming from? There's been many times when I've thought, you know, I wonder how my friend Andrew's doing. And when I send a text or a call to him, many times it turns out that it's a timely text or it's a prophetic moment. Has this ever happened to you? Where throughout the day you, you think to yourself, I wonder how this person is doing. Or, or I remember one time when I was younger, and, and this, this, this just speaks about how God cares about the little things. When I was younger, I had just got my driver's license, and I had my new driver's license in my wallet, and I lost my wallet, and I needed to go. I was late for something, and I just asked the Holy Spirit. I said, I said Lord, would you just help me find my wallet? I can't find my wallet. And I had this thought that I'd never thought before, look behind the dresser. And sure enough, I went into my bedroom. My dresser was in my closet. I'd never looked behind there before, but I pulled it back, and my wallet was laying right there at the bottom of the dresser. And and I realized, you know what? The Lord gave me that thought right after I prayed. The Lord cares about the little things. Sometimes he gives you words in the form of thoughts. The next way that the Lord speaks to us is he speaks to us through visions. When the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost, Peter quoted the prophet Joel. He says this in Acts 2, 17 through 18. He says, in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Now a vision is where the Holy Spirit opens your spiritual eyes to see something that he is doing or he is about to do. You can have a vision that reveals exactly what is going to happen, or it can be a symbolic vision and needs further interpretation from the Holy Spirit. One great example of this symbolic type of vision is seen in Acts chapter 10, where Peter has this vision of all sorts of animals coming down from heaven on a sheet, All sorts of unclean animals that he's not supposed to eat as a Jew. And God, this voice said to to Peter in this moment, what God has made clean, do not call common. Now, this was a symbolic vision for the way that God desired to bring Gentiles into the family of God. God was communicating through this vision that don't call what I've made clean, unclean, that I desire to bring even the Gentiles, the ones that weren't Jews. Now, at the time, to think that God would invite people that weren't Jewish into the family of God, that would have been a shocking thought, a shocking discovery. But the Lord was revealing to Peter in this moment that I desire to bring everyone into the family of God, open it up to the Gentiles, do not call them unclean, do not call them unworthy. And so this this symbolic vision was given to Peter for God to tell him, this is what I want to do. You can also have internal vision. There's, there's two different types of visions. There's internal visions, and these are visions that you have with your eyes closed, and perhaps when you have this type of vision, you see it like a movie reel. I remember uh, one time my dad and I, we were praying. Uh, we were going to go out into the city. We were living in Gresham at the time, Gresham, Oregon, and we were going to go out into the city and pray for people. But before we left, we wanted to ask God to reveal things about... He wanted. We, we wanted to ask God to reveal who it is that we're supposed to find and pray for. 
So we said we spent we turned on some worship music and we spent about 10 or 15 minutes in prayer and we just asked the Lord to give us words or pictures or highlight something to us so we know what we're looking for when we go out to pray for people. And we sat there and as I sat there we both had our own separate notebooks on different sides of the room and as we're worshiping I close my eyes and I see this internal vision or this internal picture of half of a daisy. So imagine a white daisy with a yellow center and you just cut it right down the middle. It was just half of a daisy. That's the only picture that I had received. And I'm kind of disappointed, honestly, at this point. And we, we end and my dad says, well, did the Lord give you anything? And I said, you know, I only got this thing. And I turn around my notebook to show my dad this picture of half of a daisy. And my dad goes, <gasps> and he turns around his notebook. He had wrote, he had drew the exact same thing. And we knew in that moment, okay, we're on the lookout for something that looks like a daisy. (laughs) And so we're driving around downtown Gresham, and we're looking on the side of the road for daisies. And and should we stop somewhere where we find daisies? And we can't find any daisies. And we we get discouraged after a while. And we don't know, you know, we're thinking, oh, I I don't, I don't, you know, maybe we should just throw in the towel. And we needed to go to Goodwill for something. We were going to look for something at Goodwill. And so dad says, well, should we just go to Goodwill? And yeah, let's go to Goodwill. And as we're walking into Goodwill, there's a woman in a wheelchair with her legs swollen. She obviously has some sort of physical condition and her shirt has daisies all over it and we knew in that moment that god was speaking to us so we approached this woman we prayed for her she was so encouraged by us because uh, she said most people just stop and stare and they don't ever talk and ask what's going on and i'm so thankful that you both you know Uh, stopped and prayed for me. She asked what church we went to. We told her what church we went to. She said, I used to go to that church. Maybe I should start coming back. And we don't know if she ever came back to church or not. It was a bigger church. And, but we were so encouraged that the Lord used us in that moment. He gave us a vision in our minds to speak to us about what he wanted to do. We can also have external visions. Now, I personally have never had an external vision, but I know that uh, that others describe this experience of open visions or, or external visions where you see it with your eyes open. One, of ex- one example is found in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 17, where Elisha prayed for God to open the eyes of his servant when his servant was afraid. And his servant opened his eyes and he saw angelic armies all around. He had an open vision in this moment. So sometimes God speaks to us through external visions, through internal visions. Another way that God speaks to us is through, is through dreams. The Bible is full of prophetic dreams. Joseph was a dreamer in Genesis. Joseph had the ability to interpret dreams, but he also had dreams himself. Daniel And Nebuchadnezzar were given prophetic dreams. Mary was visited in a dream. Joseph was visited in a dream about the birth of Jesus. Think about this fact for a moment. Most of us spend close to one-third of our entire life in sleep. And I believe God created us in such a way that we need to power down once a day so that our body can rest and replenish ourselves. And with the abundance of references of dreams in the Bible, it's my belief, my conviction that God wants to use our sleep time to communicate to us that he does this. And he does this through dreams. 
Now, oftentimes when we have dreams, we think, well, that was weird. And we disregard it altogether. But when I was younger, one thing that I started to do when I was going to ministry school is as I would have a dream, I would write it down as soon as I woke up. Because what I was doing, I wanted to show God that I can steward my dreams well. That I can steward what he speaks to me well. I didn't want God to speak to me in the middle of the night. And then I wake up and forget all about it. Instead, I wanted to show God, God, I'm listening. If this is you, thank you. If it's not you, show me that it's not you. But as I begin to steward that and write down my dreams as I woke up, I began to have more and more dreams. And so I believe that God still speaks to people through dreams today. There are three different types of dreams that God gives to people that we see in the Bible. One type of dream that he gives to people are what some refer to as directional dreams. They're, they're, they're dreams that tell you what to do or where to go. And we see an example of this in Matthew 2, verse 13 through 14. It says, Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother while it was still night, and he left for Egypt. And that is one example of a directional dream. And sometimes God still speaks in that way today. God also speaks through correctional dreams. Job chapter 33 says this. Indeed, God speaks once or twice, yet no one notices it. In a dream, a vision of the night, when sound, when sound sleep falls on men while they slumber in their beds, he opens the ears of men and seals their instruction that he may turn man aside from his conduct and keep man from pride. He keeps back his soul from the pit and his life from passing over into Sheol. So in Job, we see this example of how God uses dreams as a form of instruction or correction for us and speaks to us. I know uh, my dad has had, a, has had some correctional dreams. I won't share them on the stage uh, because I did not ask permission to. But, but my dad has had some correctional dreams regarding my younger brother. And hasn't he? He spoke to you in that way. They, the third type of dream, and, and this is more of a general statement, but we, we can have prophetic dreams. And in a prophetic dream, God shows us something that will happen in the future for someone else. For example, in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel has a dream while in his bed about four beasts. And it's this dream that he communicated to King Nebuchadnezzar about what was going to happen to his kingdom and what was going to take place at that time. So God speaks to us through his word, through impressions, through thoughts, visions, and dreams. Another way that God speaks to us is sometimes God bypasses all other forms of communication and he speaks with his voice directly to us. Now, I believe that there's many people here who have stories of hearing the audible voice of God. In fact, I'm in a rooted group right now with some of the members of our church. And even as we're in our rooted group, there are people with stories of, of hearing the voice of God in, in an audible way. Where they, they heard a voice come out of nowhere and speak to them. Now, I've never heard the audible voice of God. But I've heard the internal voice of the Holy Spirit that was undeniable and, it, and it's happened many times but one example is in january of 2020 when i was at my former church we uh, had just begun a staff meeting 
And at this time, uh, the Lord had begun to stir up in uh, Christina and I's heart that we were supposed to become lead pastors. And we were still kind of unsure. We, we had no desire to be lead pastors before this, but we felt like maybe God was was stirring this inside of us. But in January of 2020, I'm in a staff meeting at church, and I heard the voice of the Lord say directly to me, this is your last year at Red Hills Church. It was so clear in my spirit. When I heard that, I knew that it was the voice of the Lord because I didn't want to go. And everything was going well. We had relationships. We had friends. And we lived close to family. And uh, we had a great house with a ton of equity in it. And I knew that it was the voice of the Lord because it shocked me. But he said, this is your last year at your last year at Red Hills Church. And we left. I received that word in January. We left in December of 2020 before the year had ended. The internal voice of the Holy Spirit. Uh, one way to discern the voice of God speaking to you versus your own thoughts is that the internal voice of the Holy Spirit will always be addressed to you and not as you. Does that make sense? That it won't come to you in the first person, but oftentimes God will speak to you, which uh, will be a primary key in discerning that it's God and not just your own thoughts. Another way that the Lord sometimes speaks to us is through what some call ministering in the Holy Spirit's flow or the Holy Spirit's power. My boy, he's tired. He needs a nap. But uh, where was I? He's distracting me. There's another way that the Lord speaks to us, and it, and it has to do with receiving a prophetic word beforehand, uh, or excuse me, it has less to do with receiving a prophetic word beforehand, and more an exercise of faith as you step out and minister in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So sometimes the Lord tells you to go and speak to a person, and you don't know what you're going to say until you get to that person, you're stepping out in faith. Often this has happened where the Lord just says, go speak to that person, and as I approach that person, the Holy Spirit begins to give me the words to say to begin to share with them what the lord is saying over their life but i don't know until i get there and i believe we see this kind of prophetic word uh referenced in places like acts 19 6 when the holy spirit rested upon people and they begin to prophesy uh, in this portion of scripture the holy spirit falls on people and they just begin to spontaneously prophesy to the people around them that was a long point one but the first the first point, the first thing that we all need to learn in order to use the gift of prophecy within this church context is we need to learn the voice of God. How does God speak to you? Be attentive to what God is doing. And remember that your mind is being renewed by the Holy Spirit. You were at once at war with God. And your flesh was at war with the Spirit of God. But when you said yes to Jesus, your flesh died. It was crucified with Christ. And your new nature has now been resurrected with Christ. You have the spirit of God living inside of you. And God wants to use this new spirit to connect you to his spirit and to communicate to you. Remember that your mind and even your imagination has been sanctified. So don't just immediately disregard what you hear or what you see possibly, but you are allowed to ask the question, is this from God? And you can ask fellow believers, I had this dream or I had this word, you tell me if this is right, if this is something that God would say, which leads me to the second point. 
we need to, number one, learn the voice of God. But number two, we need to learn the character of God. Learn the character of God. By reading your Bible continually, you learn to answer the question, would God say that? Is this something that God would say? Did you know that the most quoted verse in the Bible is this? This verse shows up more in the Bible than any other verse. It says, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Psalm 145, 8 through 9, that he is compassionate. He's slow to anger. And so when you receive a word from the Lord, ask yourself, is this within the character of God that we see in Scripture? Is this something that God would say? There's many times when people have said in a prophetic manner that God brought about natural disasters as a result of sin. For instance, when Hurricane Katrina hit, there was lots of people saying, oh, that was God pouring out his wrath to people, COVID-19. And the reality is, is we live in a fallen world and many disasters are because of sin, because sin has affected the earth as well. Not just the hearts of man, but sin has affected the whole earth. And Jesus is using the church to bring heaven to a broken earth. And so when you receive something, if you feel like you've heard the voice of God, learn to ask, is this something that God would say? Learn the character of God. Number three, learn the voice of your flesh. Learn when it's you. By honest self-evaluation and by trial and error, you can learn to question the source behind what you hear. Ask yourself honestly, what is the motivation behind this word? Is it in love for the person? Is it to promote myself in the room? What is the motivation behind this? Learn the voice of your flesh. I... Uh, went hunting last Sunday, and I got my first buck. And if you're against hunting, I'm so sorry that you're here this morning. <laughs> but hey, this is what happened. We were, I, I remember, it, it, you know, when you're out there hunting, guys, you know this, you're out there in the quiet for a really long time. You've got a lot of time to your thoughts, a lot of time to yourself. And uh, I've, I've never had a buck before, before last Sunday. And so I, I remember walking out there, and this is just, Something I feel the Lord gave to me, but as we were hunting, I, I, uh, I was with a friend of mine, and and he looked at, back at me and said, "Man, everything's against us. The wind is against us. We're just walking around in loud stuff." And I just became really discouraged because we had been hiking around for a couple hours, and I was exhausted. And I said, "I said, Lord, are you going to give me this buck? Can I have this buck?" And my immediate response was, "No." Odds are against you. You can't have it. But then immediately after I thought that, another thought popped in my, my head that said, yes, you can. Of course you can. And it shocked me. It took me by surprise. I was like, this, because my initial response was no, but then I felt like that I, the, the voice of the Lord spoke in that moment and said, yes, you can have this. Now, some of you here are going, I don't know about that, Pastor, especially about shooting a deer. Well, you know what? If you want some meat, I'll give it to you. But learn the voice of your flesh. Learn when it's you. Oftentimes, I'm a negative, cynical, uh, a pessimistic person in my head. And, and I can recognize, when I, when I hear those thoughts, I can recognize when it's me. And when I need to get out of the way. But learn the voice of your flesh. Number four, learn to submit to a community of believers. 
When we are learning to prophesy as a church, we need to submit to a community of believers. Only those who submit to others and can receive correction are healthy enough to prophesy. Remember that no one in the church has exclusive authority and no one mediates on God on behalf of God. But God has created the church to unify as a team as we all have been given access to the Holy Spirit and we all hear God's voice. Here's what Paul says about it in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 29 through 33. He says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subjected to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. When a prophet speaks, and when Paul mentions the word prophet, prophet being in this context the one who is delivering the prophetic word. So the one, he's saying the one who delivers the prophetic word is the, is the prophet in this context. And he says that when a prophet speaks, when somebody is delivering a prophetic word, notice that Paul does not instruct the church to determine whether this person is a true or false prophet. He's not concerned with that in this setting. He doesn't talk about false prophets at all within this instruction that he gives in Corinthians. That's not a concern of his in this moment. He tells the church to weigh not the prophet, not the person speaking, but to weigh the word. Weigh what was said. Weigh what was spoken. If you have a word that is forthtelling in the, for the context of, of what is happening now, if you have a word that is for right now, then you should approach, and this is for our church, if you, in, in, during worship, or if we have a prophetic word that we believe the Lord is speaking to us, what you should do then is you should approach myself or another leader in the room and share the word with us so we can help determine whether it is something that God wants to speak to the church today. If you have a word that is foretelling, as something that you believe the Lord is saying about the future, I'd encourage you to write me an email, and I'll submit it to our church elders, to the people in our church, so we can pray about it and weigh what was said. We don't have to do it right away, but, but if you have a word that is foretelling, speaking of things to come, send me an email or, 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 or give it to me so that I can share it with people and we can pray about it and weigh the word. We submit to a community of believers. Number five, recognize what God is doing in a service. If God gives you a word, we have to recognize what God is doing in a service. Observe what is happening at the moment so you can weigh whether your word that the Lord gave you interrupts what God is saying or a work he is doing in those around you. You can write this down. When we say something can be as important as what we say. I received a word uh, a couple weeks ago when we were at our district conference in the middle of a worship song. It was in the last day. And I felt, I, I asked myself the question, is, just, is this just for me? Is this my flesh? Uh, Lord, is this you? And I felt impressed in my spirit that this was a word for the entire church. I felt it, I felt it strongly. And so, uh, I, but I could see that people were encountering God's presence at the moment. We were in the middle of worship. I could see that the Holy Spirit was moving in people's hearts. And I waited until after the song for an opportune moment. And then I approached our district supervisor who he was going to close that evening event. And I shared the word with him. But he had already received some other words that he felt like were more pressing. So he didn't even share my word. And that's okay. 
because I did my part. I, I did my part by sharing what I believe the Lord gave me, and then I submitted myself to his leadership. And I, 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 put, I allowed him to determine, okay, what, is, what do you see the Holy Spirit doing in this moment? Because I don't want to interrupt what the Holy Spirit is doing. And so I submitted myself to the leadership in the room, and I said, if, the, if you feel like this is timely, if you feel like this is God, then please share it. If not, that's okay. I did my part. I was faithful in sharing what I had to share. And that is exactly what we are supposed to do in this setting, that if the Lord gives you a word, you submit it to the leadership in the room. You submit it to the authority in the room, and you allow them to help you determine whether or not that the Lord wants to share it with the whole church. Which leads me to the sixth point. Ask if the word is meant just for you. Sometimes the Lord speaks to us, and we think we get really excited about it. And, and, and we're excited that we're hearing the voice of the Lord, but we need to ask the Lord, is this just for me? I've had moments where the Lord speaks to me and I feel like this is so powerful. It's so good. I just want to, I want everybody to hear it. I want to get up on stage and have a microphone and hear it. And the Lord says, no, this is just for you. Go and write this in your journal and keep this secret because I'm speaking to you. I'm speaking to your heart. So ask if the word is meant just for you. Number seven, when you hear a prophetic word, Learn when to stop. Learn when to stop. Say what God gives to you and then stop. Don't use prophecy as an opportunity to preach to people. Or sometimes he'll give you a word and the interpretation is left up to someone else. Don't force yourself to continue if you're finished sharing what the Lord had said. I heard a story years back about um, a church that was having um, a, a prophetic teaching in it. They were doing this prophetic teaching, and this woman wanted to go to the prophetic teaching, but, but she, uh, or she, excuse me, she, she didn't want to go to the prophetic teaching, but she felt like the Lord was asking her to go. So out of obedience, she went. And with a, a begrudging attitude, she said, okay, Lord, I'll go. And this woman had a son at home who was sick. He had, uh, I believe he was in a wheelchair, or I can't remember the exact uh, details about her son, but this woman had a son at home who was sick and she left wearing a yellow dress. And so at one point in the message, a man stood up and pointed to this woman in a yellow dress and said, you're wearing a yellow dress. And the woman began just sobbing after the words, you're wearing a yellow dress. And as she began sobbing, he thought, oh, I'm onto something. And so he began to continue. You're wearing a yellow dress and, 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 and the sun is yellow. And, and the flowers are yellow. And he began trying to add all this extra stuff. And so one of the leadership approached the woman after the service was over and asked her, can I just ask, what was up with that word about the yellow dress? Why, why was that so impactful? She said, I didn't want to come to this event because I didn't want to leave my son at home. And I asked the Lord, Lord, if you want to heal my son, then I'll know you want to heal him if somebody just stands up and randomly tells me that I'm wearing a yellow dress. And this man stood up and he delivered the word of the Lord. You're wearing a yellow dress. That was all he was supposed to say. But instead he kept going. And the sun is yellow and the flowers are yellow. And he was supposed to stop because he had received the word. It was a silly word. It was a word that made absolutely no sense, but he was obedient, and he spoke it, and he was supposed to stop there. Sometimes the most simple words can be the most impactful. How many of you know that just hearing the voice of the Lord speak to you, I love you, 
that is enough. Or the voice of the Lord saying over you, I am proud of you. I'm proud of you. Or when the Lord says, I know your name. I see you. Sometimes the most simple words from the Lord are the most powerful. And we should learn to stop. Learn to speak what the Lord has given us and then stop. Here's the last point. Is that we should learn to be very careful about directive prophecies. Be very careful. When you believe that the Lord has given you something for someone else that is directive, be careful about delivering those types of words. We've all been given the Holy Spirit. God speaks to us all. And because of this, we don't need directive prophecies the way people did in centuries before Jesus. You can offer biblical advice, remind others of what Scripture says, but avoid telling people what decisions to make in matters where the Bible is silent. If the Bible is silent in areas, be very careful. If you feel like you've been given a directive prophecy, be very careful about delivering those words. For example, um, I've been in I've been in, in in places where where people prophesy to other. The Lord wants you to have another baby. Or the Lord wants you to marry this person. Or the Lord wants you to quit your job and to move to this place. Or the Lord wants you to stop taking your medications so you can be healed. Those are very dangerous types of prophecy that we should be very careful about giving to people. I'm going to ask Mary to come up. We're going to close in just a moment. But the eight things that we should remember. Church, I'm passionate about this because I believe that the Lord wants to do a new thing in our church. That, that I think he wants to de- demystify this. That here's the reality about prophecy. You hear the voice of God. You hear. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And you can hear God's voice. We all grow in this. We all learn to, to hear it more and more. But Jesus said, my sheep, they hear my voice. You can hear the voice of God. And God wants to use his voice and speak through you to other people. And that's what prophecy is. It's sharing what God is speaking to you through the Holy Spirit with others. It's not complicated. It's not mystical. God wants to use this gift on our church day because all throughout the New Testament, Paul is emphasizing this gift in the church. And I believe we've lost it. I believe we've lost this spiritual gift because we've been so afraid to step into it. This is what Moses said in the book of Numbers. Numbers eleven twenty nine. Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? And then he says, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit in them. This is years, centuries before Jesus stepped on the scene. Moses says, oh, how I wish that the Lord would just put his spirit in every single one of his people. Moses wished that the spirit, that all had the spirit and all could prophesy. Joel prophesied that a day would come when it would happen. And Peter confirmed that because of Jesus, that day had arrived. And that means you and I can speak what the spirit has deposited in our hearts and minds to say. Learning to prophesy can be intimidating, and we might make mistakes as we learn, but if we are willing to step out and try and follow Paul's instructions, then we can surely learn because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. 
May people at Desert Church be strengthened by this gift. May God's love for others compel us to passionately desire this gift. I wanted to share with you some prophetic words that we received from members of our church this week. I reached out to some members in our church and I asked them to spend some time in prayer and ask the Lord for a word for our church to hear to strengthen and encourage us. And these words were all shared with others. They were submitted in a community. We passed around the emails. And as a result of this process, not everything that was given to these individuals will be shared today. But instead, these words have been prayerfully considered. And I believe that what I'm about to share is from God. This is what God has spoken to some members of our church. So hear these words for you. Hear these words for our church. One person heard the Lord say, keep the word revival close to your hearts. It's coming. Be ready. Another person said, I see you, Desert Church, and I know you. I've always seen you. I've always known you. I have known you in your brokenness. I have healed you. I will bring you comfort and peace. You are chosen. I will build my church for I'm doing a new thing. I'm sending you into the desert. You must not be afraid because I will go before you. The water of my word will be with you and it will be in you. Look for life in the desert. Don't be discouraged or dismayed because I'm bringing rain in the desert. Somebody else received that in the coming season of revival, God is graciously inviting us into a time of repentance. And he wants to teach us how to become more like Jesus by turning away from sin. And there's people here today who are hesitant to step out of their comfort zones because they feel unworthy to be used. Allow the Holy Spirit to give you a deeper desire to be like Jesus. There was another person that heard God speaking Isaiah 55 for our church. And I believe this scripture ties all of these words together. Hear this scripture, church. This is Isaiah 55, starting at verse 1. Receive this. Take this in. It says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. And then in verse six, he says this, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. Verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I love this part. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. Let the mountains and hills They will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. 
That's an encouraging word. The Lord is inviting all who are thirsty to come and to drink of his spirit. He's calling for the wicked to forsake their ways, the unrighteous, their thoughts, and turn to the Lord. And I believe that we're supposed to receive this word this morning. Would you grab your communion elements with me? We're going to take communion together. Again, I want to encourage you, if you did not listen to last week's message, please go back and listen to it. It'll provide more context for what was said today. But I also want to say to to those who are here, maybe for the first time, that this thing that we're about to do, this act of communion, it doesn't mean anything unless you've already given your life to Jesus. That this sacrament, this time of communion, this is something that that Jesus has invited his believers into to follow his example, to remember him. What you have in front of you is this cracker represents the body of Christ. And Jesus, before he went to the cross, he was in a room with his disciples and he broke bread. And he said, this bread that you hold in your hand, this is my body that is broken for you. Isaiah 53 says that he bore our sins and our transgressions so that we could be healed. So his body was broken so that you could find healing. Yes, physically, but also emotionally and mentally. That he came to give you life and life abundantly. So when you take this, what you're doing is you're receiving the sacrifice of Jesus. You are identifying with Jesus in his sacrifice. You're saying, thank you for what you did for me. So this morning as we do this together, I want us to close our eyes. And just spend a few seconds... Allow yourself, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you, but just speak to the Lord. Say, thank you for what he's done. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, we're so grateful for your sacrifice. We're so grateful that, that you, the perfect, spotless Lamb of God, you were completely innocent. You knew no sin. And you took the pain of the cross on you. Your body was broken. It was beaten. It was whipped. So that we could find healing. And Jesus, we're so grateful. And this morning as we take this, we remember what you've done. And we say thank you once again. Let's take this together. Take the cup. Jesus said, he he held up a a glass of wine in front of his disciples and said, This cup is my blood that is poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, I'm sure that there's people in here who you think, you you believe you're you're a good person. And you hope that, man, when I I die, I, I hope that I've done more good things than bad things so that the good outweigh the bad and the Lord lets me into heaven because of all the good things I've done. Can I tell you? That's just not how it works in the kingdom. That no matter how hard we try, no matter how good we've been, it's just not good enough. But instead, Jesus came. The Lord sent his one and only son to pay the ultimate price and spill his blood. So that now when when the Lord looks at you, when the Father looks at you, all he sees is the perfection and the righteousness of his son Jesus. 
And we have access to the presence of God because of this moment, because of what Jesus did on the cross. We have access to the to the to the Lord through the Holy Spirit because his blood made our temples clean, made our bodies clean, made it a suitable place for the presence of God to live. And I'm so grateful that that we have been given access to the presence of God. And so, Jesus, we thank you for the sacrifice that you made, that you cleansed us, that you you set us free from sin. You cleared this house so that when the Holy Spirit came, it would be a suitable place for him to dwell, for him to reside. And we have access to your presence. We're so thankful, Jesus. We want to continually walk in your ways. And right now, if there's anybody in the room who there's something weighing on your heart. Your heart is heavy because maybe of something that you've done, something that you need to get off your chest, something that you need to release to the Lord. This is a great moment for you to just take the next couple seconds and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Give me a clean slate. So just for the next couple seconds, just begin to speak to the Lord. Tell him you're sorry. Ask him for forgiveness because he's faithful to forgive. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. We receive your forgiveness. Let's take this together. The Bible says, confess your sins to the Lord and you will be forgiven. The Bible also says, confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. So if you're in this place and you've asked the Lord for a clean slate, maybe you you need to find somebody who you trust. You need to find a, a, a loved member of this church or somebody that you can share your heart with and and the Lord says to confess your sins to them so that you can be healed because I believe that the Lord wants to take us to a new level in this season that he wants to pour out his spirit in new ways and so Jesus we thank you for this morning we thank you for what you're doing in our church we ask for your blessing upon everybody here teach us how to hear your voice in better ways teach us to to have courage to share it, to be submitted to a community of believers. We love you, Lord, and we trust you. In your name we pray. And the church said, amen. God bless you, church. We'll see you next Sunday.